Never forced, never coursed. Open discussions about things in life that matter to you most. From tech to TV, movies, and gaming, and everything in between. Visit voluntaryinput.com to subscribe, contact us, and find out how you can support the show. Catch new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Voluntary Input. So for those watching the video, I'm wearing my sunglasses because I'm trying to be cool because I'm w with one of the 50 sexiest men of all time, <laughs> Mr. Bo Roberts. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, not, uh, I think that was of like that year, um, which is still, you know, kind of uh, glory days. Uh, let's just call it that. Yeah. So. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there because I read that and I'm like, oh, and I know you've probably been asked this a thousand times, so we'll get it out of the way real quick. When you first saw that, read it or heard it, what what's the first thing that went through your mind? How did that make you feel? What did you think? It's very odd. Um, so I come from a um, much more of a blue collar type of family. My family owns a few truck driving companies. My father is a truck driver and my mom owns a company and for me, I was like a diesel mechanic that spent some time in the office learning uh, admin stuff that and then went into law enforcement and was a cage fighter. So that was, you know, my life uh, was very much that to one of 50 sexiest people on earth. And I'm like, uh, um, the, uh, the joke that uh, I typically tell is connected with uh, my modeling history and how I felt like I, I was in on the joke with, uh, with, you know, kind of the powers that be to where I'm like, yeah, you know, I've had these rough and tough jobs and whatever. And now I stand in front of the camera and people are like, Oh, he's one of the sexiest people alive. And I'm like, yeah, let, let, let's go with that. <laughs> so um, We'll just, just run with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I do want to thank you for coming on tonight. Um, and you touched on a little bit about your background. Um, so if you could expound a little bit more for those who don't know who you are, which I would find that kind of hard to believe, but if you could just, uh, expand a little bit, who are you? Gotcha. Uh, right. So hi everybody. I'm Bo Roberts. Uh, I am currently uh, out in Los Angeles, uh, working as a filmmaker and I'm, Initially from uh, the bottom tip of Indiana, so more accurately, if you can pinpoint Louisville, Kentucky, then that's very close to where I grew up. And yeah, had a career in um, um, law enforcement for a bit, uh, was majoring in psychology. And that's something that was put on my radar as something of interest, uh, uh, the field of psychology, uh, all, all the way since uh, seventh grade. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, so jumping back to it, it's uh, law enforcement and used to compete in cage fighting to be prepared for that. But then it turns out I'm more of a lover, not a fighter. So I met some girl on spring break and then I moved down to Florida. One thing led to another. And then I started jumping around in a speedo in South Beach, Miami and working as a model. And, uh, as one would do. Um, yeah. As, as one does. And then I, uh, uh, pass on offers to go down to Cape Town, South Africa um, to do a 
bunch of like car driving commercials because it's very beautiful and scenic down there. So um, I, I just went straight to Manhattan so I could go to an acting school because I was exposed to acting in Florida. Um, determined that's a, an avenue I was really wanting to explore. So I did that and then began a career that dovetailed with modeling and acting. And then I began very quietly shooting short films that, you know, again, one thing led to another. And I just directed my first feature film last year. And here I am. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's, yeah, you come from close to my stumping grounds. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I know all about oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Love Louisville, that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Indiana. Uh -huh. Yeah. So we were neighbors at one point, apparently, maybe. About a <laughs> About an hour to an hour and a half apart. Um, yeah. Depending on if you guys are doing construction, I know that's Orange, Orange Barrel City. <laughs> if <laughs> it's, it's nonstop. Yeah. yeah, they're doing it right now. It's nonstop. Weirdest thing ever. It's like, is this ever finished? And it's like, it's not. So what you said, psychology at a very young age. What what got you interested in that? Just trying to kill time in the library in seventh grade, I was walking around and went to the, that section that, you know, most libraries have them to where it's these books, you know, caked in dust and looks like nobody's seen, uh, touched one for years. And I'm like, oh, what are, are these books? And it seems like you have to be like really smart because... <laughs> They don't have a lot of pictures. They're not in color, and the and the font's really small. So, to me, I'm like, oh, these are like smart people books. And um, and uh, I pulled one out, and it was the DSM, which, um, the Diagnostic and Statistics, uh, essentially the Encyclopedia of Mental Disorders. And so it had a lot to do about uh, classifications, and uh, but that and like human interaction were of interest for me. So that's when I really first, you know, began kind of paying attention to that. Mm -hmm. And then it was interesting because back in the 90s, um, I think the way the story goes in Hollywood, at least, is that in order, or at that time at least, to make a movie based on a real person, X amount of time had, had to pass. Mm, yeah. So then I think in the 90s, it, um, it was just coming up when you had like the John Wayne Gacy's and Ted Bundy's and stuff like that to where um, all of a sudden their name was enough in the public domain that now Hollywood's jumping on it and making movies about it. So it, it was around that time that, you know, I began kind of thumbing through the DSM and now I'm watching movies, you know, maybe at a bit too early of an age of like, you know, maybe eighth grade or being a freshman in high school and watching a movie on you know, John Wayne Gacy and how he would, you know, kidnap kids, lock them in his basement and scary stuff, you know, takes place and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, that and uh, eventually that led into what I now make sense of, you know, my career in law enforcement. Um, initially, I thought it was serve and protect and go into it for the right reasons. But looking back on my life, um, it's that's ground zero of human emotion. The way right. that you interact with people, and you know, like there's a time that uh, this guy's uh, son was killed in a car accident, so very abrupt, sudden, uh, no idea it was gonna happen, and he's in uh, complete, uh, he was in uh, lockdown, so he was in his cell alone for 23 out of 24 hours a day. So he's already oh. in a pretty 
depressed situation, mm -hmm. I pull him out, have to look him in the eye and tell him that, you know, yeah, his son just died. And it's like, all right, well, I have to put you back in so, so I can get back to it. And it, so it's just a very blunt and a very raw interaction that you have with people doing stuff like that and interacting with somebody, you know, moments after they murdered somebody. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, that was very interesting. And uh, that proved to be a big influence on me going into acting where I thought maybe, um, oh, I'm just a typical guy from the Midwest, you know, think about being on TV. But the more I got into it and discovered the uh, technique of Stanislavski, um, that's when, you know, I made sense that that is a technique of re relying on your own past and your own memories to uh, truthfully invoke an emotional response. Right. So, yeah, psychology, it, it was with me all the way from seventh grade. And then that's what really made the connection and made me want to pursue acting and just kind of triggered a lot of events in my life. So it sounds like it started basically with a natural curiosity. And I, I know that same feeling because I'm the mm -hmm. same way. Yeah, the kind of stuff you were watching, like you said, the John Wayne Gacy stories and things like that. I'm the same way. You know, I know people that it like scares them, but not myself as well. I'm like, well, how does someone get to that point? You know, what what's in them what makes them tick like what makes you become a serial killer and i think that's part of what fuels the fascination you know uh in podcasting especially there's a lot of true crime podcasts and i i've talked yeah. to some of the hosts and they say the same thing i just often just want to know what how does someone get to that point where they start doing that to other people um yeah there's definitely a, a lot of motives to choose from and it's very easy to just put someone in, oh, they're, they're a psycho. And that's, you know, that's why they do that. Um, which to me, it's hyper generalized. And, you know, I have that belief about me that like the, the first time that you name call or talk down to somebody, it's probably because you don't understand them. And the moment right. you take them for granted, all of a sudden, you know, that's when you can be sideblinded. But, um, I read somewhere that there was some, um, like if they're testing to see if you're truly psychotic or, or not, uh, they will have you uh, watch um, something that takes maybe five or 10 minutes to do. And it begins with um, one kid on the playground taking a ball uh, from the kid. And then that kid gets up, pushes uh, that kid to the ground and takes the ball back. And then, um, and then a fight breaks out. And then, um, you know, it changes the scene to various images and stuff. And it gets to the point that now you have a very tight shot of an eyeball with a needle piercing it. And it gets even more and more um, uh, violent, you know, on screen. And apparently with somebody who's truly psychotic, when they watch uh, that kid get pushed to the ground and then they watch somebody, you know, maybe they get decapitated on camera, their brain waves don't change like they register mm. it as being oh th this is just something that happened and this is something that happened so it, that's you know so for them the actions that they do they they don't really interpret it as being unjust and uh, I guess uh, say it's the absence of a, of a conscience right yeah. for them they're like yeah I did this what's the big deal it's like you killed three people that's a very bad thing and so that's, um, 
but yeah, like what what's happening now and kind of that shift on moving into what this year and why people are doing it. I don't know. I would say a lot of things, you know, it, so much of it's rooted in like um, jealousy. You know, that's yeah. probably most of what uh, um, my my family back home, Aunt Sheila and my stepmom, Nancy, they love true crime stuff. <laughs> and whenever I go to visit them, I'm like, oh, jealousy comes into play, whether it's, you know, jealousy of a lover or being cheated on or not, you know, being fired from work and this person gets promoted instead of you. Um, but yeah, so I'm just kind of curious of, you know, kind of what the overall driving force is because jealousy is always one, but it seems like society is pretty anxious right now. So mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe people are a bit more trigger happy than what they once were. I think people feel a, a bit more emboldened to get away with things too, or at least they think they can. I don't know. They or just go ahead and commit acts without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But it, it's funny you talk about um, the 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 women in your family watching this stuff every time you go home because that's something I noticed too that a lot of women really love true crime and I've been asking that question and I have a friend who told me she said, uh, "Well, we watch it because we need to know what to look out for." in men. So I'm like, well, that's kind of a disturbing thing to say. But, and then I was like, eh, in a way she's kind of right. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, but it, in the same sense, that's why, um, like Ted Bundy, why, you know, he really turned into the celebrity of serial killers because he was a very average Joe. Uh, well, prime example, they have Zac Efron, uh, portraying him, you mm -hmm. know, so it's like this handsome, charismatic guy that it's like, Oh, someone you want to bring home and introduce to the parents and because he's such a great guy right and then all of a sudden you turn around and you're not there you seen go. again you know yeah. and it just happens so um yeah to me that's that that's a very interesting uh way to view watching those shows i'm not sure if it was said you know in jest or or not but yeah it's like people can be very sneaky and very tricky with their motives and Mm -hmm. until they have you and then it's like oh this is who you are but now you're you know you're tied up in a basement somewhere and it's too late so yeah yeah so and then you mentioned your brief you said it was a brief stint with cage fighting um what was it you were just doing it for the physicality of it or was it that um so uh once i got into law enforcement um uh, they put me on this advanced tactical team called the CERT team, uh, which it, if you think of a SWAT team member and what they do, um, that's what I said. That's what I did inside of a detainment facility. So I had my day-to-day -day routine that I had to do, but then if a fight would break out and if somebody uh, was being violent coming in or suicide attempts, uh, I would have to suit up and go play with them. Um, and, and he's now a, like a really good friend of mine, uh, Tim, and um yeah so they put me on the team and then they said oh and tim he's actually um he's a cage fighter and he's about to fight a collegiate wrestler and we know you were very accomplished in wrestling uh we need to put uh you two together so uh so you know you can maybe coach him and kind of talk him through some stuff so they did that and then he invited me out to his fight gym and the moment i did it i, I just 
yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm into this. So that's when I started training, and that went on for about maybe four years. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and now out here in uh, Los Angeles, I'm very happy to say that um, as of last week, um, I actually went back and did some nogi jiu-jitsu. Um, and then on Monday, uh, I went back in to do some uh, more traditional jiu-jitsu, like your gi, that's the, uh, the outfit that you wear. Right. So if you're going no gi, then it's like, you know, um, like a tight shirt and pants, and it's more like wrestling with uh, submissions. So, yeah, so, it, it, um, you know, the whole cage fighting kind of mentality, I, I did it for the sport of it, but also to be prepared for uh, law enforcement. And then just, you know, when I lived in Manhattan, moved out here, just, uh, I've always kept up on kind of kickboxing and tie fighting and um, was training jiu-jitsu uh, a bit more and more um, and even started competing in it. And and then COVID happened and I'm like, <laughs> oh, so now it's been two years of not doing jiu-jitsu and uh, oh God, uh, on Monday, um, I still couldn't make it all the way through practice. Like you go through the warm up and you drill and train and then you go into sparring for about maybe 15 to 20 minutes. And it, it wasn't intense and crazy. It was just my body's not used to it. Right. Not used to it to the point that last week when it was my first day coming back since 2020, I was so tired that the next day and even the day after that, that uh, my wife had me take a COVID test. Because she's like, oh yeah, is this something else? Because like you're <laughs> the fatigue, really yeah. tired. I, I'm not used to seeing you like this, and I'm like, I'm not used to feeling like this. But <laughs> you know, it's been a couple years of sitting on the couch. It will, uh, it'll it get you. up, I guess. Yeah. And it's funny she brought that up because I actually contracted COVID last year, um, but that was the only symptom I had. I was very tired, like for, mm-hmm. but it was only one day. But I went and got tested and they were like, oh yeah, you were positive. You probably, you're probably, you've probably been positive for about five days and didn't know it. And then it hit yeah. me. But then after that, it was over. And I'm like, well, thank God for that because I've known of some very terrible outcomes. So, so I say, if that's the worst that's going to happen to me, I hope it stays that way. So definitely that's uh, exactly, it could be worse. up with a lack of parental supervision? Do you know all the lyrics to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Remember Merrimack Cheese and the Fry Guys? Have an inexplicable love for the California Raisins? Can you remember Madonna's original face? Then you might be a part of the Doom Generation. Laugh until you cry with us each week as we stumble blindly through the memories of the movies and other random things that doomed us to be the salty, sarcastic, sardonic ladies you want to hang with. You know us. You love us. You can't f***ing live without us. Doom Generation. Available everywhere you find podcasts. And speaking of COVID, you managed to shoot a film during COVID. Now, I know watching, you know, we all watch TV. We can see the live shows, the way they transitioned, especially like the the live talk shows and the morning shows. They just did yeah. a lot of at-home at recording. But a film, how do you shoot a film during COVID? Um, carefully. <laughs> um, yeah, just a, a lot of stuff went into it. So, um, yeah, I shot the movie the great awakening very early in 2021 and um yeah so covid was very much on, on the map and uh, a lot of restrictions and whatnot and 
for myself uh, in 2020, I had actually went about an hour north of Los Angeles and done was referred to as a, a bubble production to where, you know, I signed on that, okay, this is my character and I'm doing uh, this one, that scene, then I work two days here and off. But on my off days, I have to stay on the property. Uh, fortunately, it was like a 15,000 acre ranch. Oh. That it was like they, they had bison and just elk roaming. It was like the, the best dream come true from being, you know, in the heart of lockdown to all of a sudden, as far as you can walk, go for it um, wow. and you're safe. So, yeah, so I did that bubble production and made sense of why kind of, you know, why that was necessary and then uh, talked to the uh, COVID compliance officer and stuff like that and really made sense. So in uh, 2021, uh, my leading lady, she, um, uh, like she had her own setup to where she would go from her place to set. And then uh, the, um, the um, boyfriend character, Dan, or uh, the actor, Ryan, he um, told me that he, he had a couple roommates. So I'm like, oh, well. I have a spare room. Um, why don't you just come crash with me throughout production? So he showed up and, and uh, with his, uh, uh, like he, he passed his COVID test. And then I had a, my buddy, um, he's a set medic that now doubles as a, a COVID compliance officer. So the day that he showed up uh, was the first day that I gave my buddy, Jason, who um, he's also a producer on the film, but um uh, I gave him a, a part in the movie, and um, yeah, and he tested uh, Ryan right on the spot just to make sure everything's good. And then, yeah, Ryan hung out with me throughout the rest of the production. Um, so then, scheduling really comes into play to where I'm not wanting to abuse this time. So, a big part of it was how much of the movie can I shoot without him? Like, let's shoot every scene I can do before these two people people literally have to share the screen together. Right. Uh, so when when he showed up, it was much more, um, you know, had more of kind of a like, okay, you work basically every day and, and then you go home when it's a character wrap. So um, yeah, it was, it, it, it was interesting to, you know, have that attribute going into creating my first full length feature. So yeah. But what about, uh, did you get any kind of pushback? Did you have any people saying, you guys are, you're crazy. You shouldn't do this. Maybe wait until things blow over, try something else. Did you get any kind of pushback like that? Um, not on my end. Um, and yeah, like throughout 2020, I had some, uh, some casting directors that they, you know, reached out to me and um, asked if I'd be willing to, uh, go into certain groups and, um, you know, still try and do some, uh, some on-screen stuff. So I was doing that and these are with major tentpole companies about, you know, like whatever blockbuster and movie star you've heard of, it's these companies that work with them. So at absolute top, you know, tier one, uh, uh, production studios. And so I'm like, well, they're doing it. I don't have the budget to do it quite the way they are. So how can I do it and be the most cautious and, you know, as safe as humanly possible. And, um, yeah. And, uh, on that note, uh, my production, uh, 
very fortunate to say that nobody actually came down with COVID, not me. Um, and then, you know, uh, once production's wrapped for the day, uh, I'd hang out with my wife and uh, she, she didn't get it. So, you know, it was like a COVID-free production all the way through. So uh, I think being exposed to how those big major companies were operating and how strict they were, that was something that, you know, I, I could implement in, in my movie and take it seriously and um, roll with it. Because after I directed that one, because um, I, like, I still like to work as a crew member, um, typically as a DP um, or, you know, as a camera operator at least. Uh, but I, I actually worked as a grip uh, to help with lighting. I, I did that on a, on a horror movie a couple months ago and Ooh. totally love it. Just had a, a lot of fun. And the thing I love about working as a, uh, as a crew member like that is um, I'm, I'm either the DP or I'm the camera operator or a grip that's directly interacting with the DP. So I'm like, oh, how would you like this? And why are we doing this? So to me, it's an interesting way to kind of have on-the-job training. Oh, yeah, I was going to say you can absorb all that in, yeah. As a learning experience, yeah. So doing that. Um, so a as I began doing these jobs after I directed mine, uh, I began seeing how relaxed some productions were, how non non-existent COVID protocols were and how still hyper stringent some of them were. So I'm like, Oh, so the way that I had done it, I'm confident that, yeah, I put my best foot forward, took it very seriously because I, I have been on sets that, you know, haven't cared as much. Did you, did you feel rushed at all shooting and whatnot because for me for some reason in my mind i would think we got to hurry up and finish this before something bad happens i mean you talked about being respectful of people's time but did you feel like a sense of urgency or because i've heard other people say yeah we kind of wanted to hurry up and wrap up as soon as possible but did you feel that way or uh to me that's a, a very typical um emotion on set, um, especially uh -huh. if you're the, the first AD who's in charge of scheduling and keeping production on time. Um, fun fact, um, like I, it's not symbolic or a joke, but the first AD uh, very coincidentally also has the shortest lifespan of any other crew member. And I'm not talking career, like yeah, the stress from that job. <laughs> the first AD typically has the uh, shortest lifespan out of any crew member. Um, but yeah, so staying on schedule, finishing on time, that's a big thing. And now you have the fear of, okay, what if somebody gets COVID and now we have to shut down if it's, if it's the star, we can't, you know, how do we, we, uh, reschedule. Um, and especially in my case, it like one way that I create, created the story during COVID was, okay, I want it to be shot you know, to where it's like, I'm putting as few people on set as humanly possible. Uh, so, you know, one aspect was budget. I couldn't hire, you know, 15 people to be on set, but also that's not something I really wanted. The, uh, the technology that I bought into with my camera and my lights, um, it made it possible to literally plug in a light. And then from my phone, um, like I'm staring at it and my phone is now my director monitor. So I'm like turning, uh, aiming the light myself, and then I would set it, walk behind the camera, 
and go into a lighting app. And now I'm just sliding and looking at my monitor to see, okay, is it bright enough? What color should it be more, you know, red, blue, uh, cooler, warm. Um, so all of a sudden it hyper condensed um, the need to have um, more people on set. Cause if you're working with tungsten lights, you can probably skate by with plugging one or two in, into a wall. But if you plug three to four in, you're probably going to blow a breaker, especially if it's an older home. Yeah. So then you have to have a generator and then you have to run uh, power cords out to it. So that's going to require having more people on set to do that. And it, you know, and it very quickly, it turns into something a lot more right. uh, problematic of just having more bodies you know, during that time. So, yeah, working with the lights, I did. Uh, I think that really kind of, you know, uh, saved me uh, potentially. Yeah, you being with the, the grip experience, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And I said woo because you mentioned horror. That's one of my favorite categories. But um, But we won't talk about that. What about your movie? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Um, so since... Uh, I guess the common theme of the conversation is COVID. Um, and yeah, so uh, during lockdown, I told my wife that I, I, I'm going to make something, uh, create a story, and then instead of it being another short film, because uh, you know I've shot like 15 of them, I feel ready to do something full length. So you know I'm going to create something, just blast off and shoot it. And she was very supportive and said, I love that just don't make it about COVID because every every low budget movie for the next five years uh, is probably going to be COVID related. So I'm right. like, gotcha. So, okay. So I, I'm going to do a movie about COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I more or less saw it as a challenge. Um, and then that's where this documentary I watched really kind of, help me with it to where instead of my movie being a COVID movie where somebody is like you're uh, getting infected with COVID, maybe the vaccine turns you into a monster, maybe lockdown is mass enslavement of the humankind and all of these very on the nose, oh, it's very directly COVID related. Right. I wanted to do something that's a bit more, you know, kind of, um, kind of off of that. So you have a documentary called Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue, and you have George A. Romero and Wes Craven and all of these guys saying, yeah, so I just made sense of what was happening in society and made a movie on that. So uh, in the 50s, you had the, um, you know, post-World War II, so a lot of movies were apocalyptic, atomic yeah. bomb scare type movies. Then you go to 60s with a Summer of Love and Drug experimentation so you know a lot of movies were um about not pot smoking hippies kidnapping daddy's little angel and then you get to 70s where uh the love ran out and now we have watergate vietnam excuse me just some an overall bad taste in the country's mouth and that's when horror movies turn ultra violent and you have stuff like texas chainsaw massacre that came out so that, that gave me kind of this framework to say, okay, so what does 2020 mean to me? Uh, COVID's introduced uh, lockdown, but not just you know us doing it. It's a worldwide collaborative effort 
for everybody to, for once, put differences aside and say, okay, we're going in lockdown. This has to happen. That was the hope. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Except for um, a, a couple of states that always seem to pop up in kind of a, a meme-like fashion. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a different topic. But, yeah, so the thought was there. Um, the CIA released over 10,000 documents confirming interactions with UFOs, uh, very turbulent election year, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, that started and just seeing, you know, everything that happened with that. And I'm like, geez, what's next? Right. I have no clue. So for me, uh, to summarize 2020 with one word, I would say uncertainty. So uncertainty, that's what turned into my common thread for my story. So from the story that was created to um, creating the script with, uh, with my buddy John, to shooting it, to post-production, and the way that we cut certain things together, the entire intention is, as you watch it, uh, you know what's happening. But the way I chose to deliver something, something seems off about it. And from this scene, it's, it's impossible to tell what's going to happen in the scene after that. So, uh, you know, like, not so much of a spoiler, but the, the movie starts with the lead actress, and she's wearing diamond earrings and a beautiful necklace. Uh, her hair is in an updo, and she's wearing a ball gown. And then it cuts to um, this woman on the property next to, next to her, and you see that they're having this weird staring contest. And then it cuts cuts back to the lead, and then it cuts away, and now you see that the lead is wearing a full-on uh, ball gown and has a, a shawl on and everything, but she's also holding garbage. Um, so it's, the scene is a girl is taking taking out the trash. That's what's happening. But you know why is she dressed that way? Yeah. And what's what's up with the staring contest? It, this isn't adding up to me. That's the intentional part because um, I'm trying to provoke that uncertain emotion that you know I, I, I definitely felt, and I'm pretty sure uh, people that watch the movie, it's like, oh yeah, you know, it's, when they think back to the uncertain times of 2020, hopefully that, you know, there is a connection there. Um, so that's why the movie shot in kind of a unusual way, and then uh, going from this shot to that shot to stitching it together, Everything is just one big curveball after another, and um, and just to dive a bit deeper on that opening shot, like the whole ball gown and whatnot, that's COVID related without it being about COVID. So um, on social media during that time during lockdown, I noticed you know all of these people, you know, were posting how they're going out buying groceries or taking out the garbage and just doing very basic things, but they're wearing tuxedos and they're, you know, really kind of dressing up just to do the most basic things in life. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, that, that's interesting because my wife and I uh, will sit out on the balcony and dress up for a happy hour every day. And for, uh, for me to dress up often enough, I'm still wearing like basketball shorts but at least I would have a collared shirt on, and uh, that's what we would do to kind of keep that sense of uh, normalcy. Right. And um, yeah, so 
that you know I put that into the movie. So yeah, that's why she's so dressed up. Although you know when you watch the movie, um, any correlation with it being COVID related that's not mentioned until I don't know maybe 20, 20 minutes into the movie possibly. So you watch it and and you don't have the context of why why is she doing this? It makes no sense to me. So, and it's funny yeah. you mentioned that because people were doing that, the uh, work from home thing. Some people were, even though they knew they didn't have to be fully dressed to be on camera, they would do it anyway, just to have that sense of normalcy, like you mentioned. That's awesome. Definitely. And then what, what is the title of the movie again? The title of the movie is The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening. And I read that it's available on Tubi. It is, yeah. It's on Tubi. It's on uh, another channel called Look Who, and then uh, Momento, uh, Momentu, maybe M O M E N T U. But then also last Wednesday, I found out it was just picked up on Amazon Prime. Oh, nice. So yeah, so that process has started to where um, you, you know movies being sent to them and and the artwork and the trailer and stuff. So that's being onboarded. So hopefully. We can have two weeks. Uh, you, you know, that's you know something else I can really start talking about. That's amazing. Now I mentioned Tubi because, um, interestingly enough, um, on my personal blog, over the years I've written about you know cord cutting, getting rid of cable, whatnot, and blah blah blah, and all these streaming services and some of the best budget wise ones. And I wrote, I've written like two or three times about Tubi. But what's most interesting to me is I have, I follow a lot of movie podcasts and interact with some of the hosts and a lot of them mention Tubi over and over again. It's grown so, you know, it's grown like leaps and bounds. It's amazing to see, especially oh, yeah. the podcasts that like to do uh, classic movies and classic horror. Um, Tubi is like the powerhouse for that. So it'd be great to tune in and check out your movie and Here's some of the, maybe I'll talk to some of them and have them uh, give you a, a review on their podcast. You know, I, I'm totally down to receive reviews from any podcast or just anybody that, you know, is listening to this current podcast. Um, please watch the movie and the ending to it, back to dealing with the emotion of uncertainty. I intentionally let, left the ending a bit more open-ended and open into interpretation. So I want people to watch it and tell me what it means to them, what they think happened. Um, yeah, but also it's like, this is my first official run mm -hmm. going from shooting short form content up to a, a full length movie. So what worked, what didn't work? And, you know, just open and honest, like I appreciate any feedback or review. I'll let them know. And the ones that I know that I tend to interact with, they, um, you know, they are pretty serious film buffs. We'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they'll give you the honesty that you, that you desire. So where else can people connect with you and find out more about you? Yeah. So, uh, I'm pretty easy to track down on social media, uh, at Mr. Bo Roberts, M R B O R. Um, we'll have autofill take care of it on Instagram. Uh, but that's also synonymous uh, uh, on Twitter, on YouTube, and that's that's uh, about maybe the the three places that I actually operate. Uh, I had a TikTok for 
a couple days, and then I was like, um, I can't, not into it. Right. So I know the feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I don't want to keep you much longer. I want to thank you once again for coming on, Bo. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me. All right, you can come back anytime. And like I said, I'll talk to some of my friends and have them uh, check it, check out the movie, and then we'll go from there. Sweet. All right, and as usual, if you want to get a hold of me, just go to voluntaryinput.com. If you have any questions or comments or show ideas, just select contact. Or better yet, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, select register as a guest because we're always looking for great guests like you. All right, Bo, well, enjoy the rest of your evening. I don't know what time it is there, but it's it's getting a little late here. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, and uh, so you're still in Cincinnati? Yep. Still on that old gotcha. Eastern Standard Time, so. Yeah, so definitely getting a bit late. So, yeah, um, it was great chatting with you. You as well. We'll talk to you next time. We'll see you. All right, man. Take care. sometimes find yourself scrolling through the internet looking for articles to read only to find that you can't read through them all because you have other things going on what if someone could read them to you while you tackle other tasks well let me tell you about newsly newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for ios and android It picks up web articles about the most trending topics at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. Simply put, the entire internet becomes listenable, all in one place. Browse articles from topics you choose and you can follow any topic as specific as you'd like. From sports to science to Bitcoin, it will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. And guess what? They have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 50 countries. And yes, this podcast, Voluntary Input, is there too. Download and use Newsly for free now. Follow the Newsly link and use the promo code in the show notes of this episode and receive a one month free premium subscription. So again, If you ever find yourself scrolling through daily articles, stop scrolling and start listening. Follow the Newsly link and use the promo code in the show notes of this episode and receive a one month free premium subscription.